Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before the show today, I want to remind you guys to go check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash Conquering Columbus. If you guys want to support the podcast, you can do so there via small monthly donations, and you get cool rewards for different levels. So go over there and check it out. Also want to take this time to thank our sponsors over at AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout-out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well. And uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the store behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. All right, let's get this episode rolling. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today we have Ryan Frederick with us. I'm going to kick it over to my co-host Mike Minucci, let him read you guys some background on Ryan. Thanks Josh. Hey, we're really excited to have Ryan on the show today and uh, for a little background on him, he's a Columbus, Ohio native and the principal of AWH, the director of Startup Grind and an advisor at Rev1 Ventures as well as an advocate for IC Stars Columbus and the co-founder of Black Hat and the leader of Product Camp. He's had the privilege of helping many companies grow their sales, revenues, market share, and profitability, uh, working with companies across a variety of industries and of all shapes and sizes. He's helped startups grow from inception to viability through to sustainability, while also helping establish multinational companies improve and grow. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And we're really excited to have you here today. So kind of let's just kick things off and tell people a little bit of background on yourself and uh, kind of set the tone for what we're going to talk about the rest of this episode. Yeah, that introduction and bio always makes me uncomfortable because it sounds like I actually know something. Uh, it just it just basically means that I've had a lot of experiences and I've just you know and I've just done a lot of stuff, which um, also means that I'm old. Um, yeah, so I've you know uh, been a part of of growing, starting and growing a lot of different companies, um, mostly software companies, 
and I think that there are just some some consistencies across that that allow me to be able to do startup grind and some of the other things that um, um, I can bring some experience to that that maybe others um, others can't. Um, and 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 it, it's funny because people talk about I'm sort of envious sometimes when somebody says, "Well, what's your career?" And I haven't really had a career. I've had just sort of of I've been a strategic opportunist, right? When I've seen something sort of present itself that that I think I would enjoy and be be good at and want to be a part of, then I've just jumped on that and 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 pursued it. So I'm often jealous of people that that have known forever that they wanted to be accountants and doctors and lawyers and firefighters um because it, it there's um there's some stability in in that. Um and being a a entrepreneur and being an opportunist is is Maybe the the antithesis of that. No, yeah, I, I think that I feel the very same way. Like whenever I hear somebody who really knew exactly what they wanted to do, or they majored in a really specific field like that, and then you can just I kind of think put your head down and concentrate on it and try to be the best at that exact thing. And I've never really known, and I've always just kind of just tried to take to this point any opportunity that opens up to me that I think is the right one. So I think that's interesting here. Do you feel like that's helped you get to where you are today in terms of if you didn't take that path and you would have found that one thing? Do you think that you would have been better off, or are you, are you happy with the way things have turned out up to this point? Yeah, I uh, I think it's the way that I'm I'm fundamentally wired. Um, so I'm not sure that I had a choice. Um, and it, 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 but I do think that that it's been um, it's been a good experience and a good journey to experience lots of things and um, to really embrace new challenges and, and new opportunities along the way and not get and not to get too comfortable, not get into a rut. Um, and so I think it's, um, I think it's been a good thing ultimately. And, and, and I'm not sure I even had an option ultimately because I was, I was just never one of those people as a kid or a teenager or, or in, in college that, that could sit down and could say, I definitively know I want to do this or I'm interested in this. I've always been interested in lots of things. And ultimately, I was interested mostly in solving problems and figuring out when I was a kid, I was really shy and I was mostly an observer, um, even through teenage years. And so it was one of those things where I think being an observer then allowed me to be a good read of, a reader of people and to be a good um, assessor of, of what motivates people and why why is someone doing what they're doing right now? Why are they saying what they're saying in this context? So I think that's helped me um, be good at, at, at understanding what's, what's driving someone to be doing what they're doing and making the decisions that they're making in, in, in the moment. And I think that's been really, I think that's been really beneficial. And you have kids, so when you turn to them and they turn to you for advice, do you encourage them to kind of try to find one special thing or just to keep their options open and, and kind of take the same path that you did and observe people? And, or do you just kind of sit back and let them find their own? Yeah. So our, our oldest son is, is 26 and he's, he's a developer. Uh, but in college he was a computer science and finance sort of co-major. He's at a startup now in Chicago, a drive capital funded startup um, called hologram and he's now um, sort of evolved from being a developer to um, he's in he's director of operations. He's in operations, so he's he's kind of the the 
COO at the company, but they you know that they don't have they're not big enough yet to have that fancy of a title. <laughs> so he's the operations guy, and yeah, he's he's even when he was a teenager. I remember we 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 got a check in the mail, and it was from it was from something called the Escapist, and we opened it up and it's made out to our son's name is Logan and it was made out to Logan and and we were like, why is he getting a check from the Escapist and who is the Escapist? Right, this sounds, <laughs> this sounds like some weird shit. Right? <laughs> and so he, he and so we you know, we go to him and we and we say, um, what's this? And he was like, oh, I didn't want to tell you because I I was afraid you would say that I couldn't do it. But he was writing for um, a game magazine and an online and a gaming site, and he was 15, I think. And and he was like, "Is it okay?" And and we were like, "Yeah, it's fine, right? As long as it doesn't sort of interfere with school. I mean, you still have to be, you know, the the you know appropriate parent in the equation, right?" Um, but yeah, it's, it's ultimately we've always just said, you know, pursue what interests you and what you want to do, right? And 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 I think that. You know, he's probably doomed from the beginning, and, and right, in, in that, you know, the apple probably doesn't fall, you know, too far from the tree. But um, he's explored lots of other things already, right? He's been a developer. He he's now in an operations role. He's done finance stuff um, already at a very, you know, relatively young age. So, yeah, I think that that um, our advice really is just do what you're interested in and capitalize on opportunities as they present themselves. Right. And I don't think there's really one correct path. You know, when you ask it as a parent, you know, I don't, obviously I don't know that uh, feeling yet, but I, I would imagine that Mike's got some kids running around is what he's, he's trying to slowly slide that out into well, this episode. He's like, well, <laughs> maybe back in California, but I'm we not don't a talk known about that. parent. He said, <laughs> right. I, nobody knows that I'm a parent, but, um, <laughs> What, what was I even talking about? Okay. Um, so kind of to let Mike think about his point really quick, what I want to kind of jump into <laughs> is kind of how is, has that taken you to where you are present day at AWH and what do you have going on? Um, we could talk about kind of some of the roles that you've taken today and what your responsibilities are in each of those roles. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with AWH because, you know, that's ultimately my day job. So I'm a partner there, joined five years ago, um, and... We're, we're a software development firm that we build digital products for clients of all shapes and sizes. Uh, we we, uh, we like working with, with companies across the spectrum of size and scope and on products and projects of varying size and scope because there are different there, they are different experiences and challenges working with startups and fast-growing companies to working with enterprise customers. And none of them are right or wrong. They're just different experiences. And so we try to apply what we do with startups and building products to, to what we do in building products for larger clients and larger enterprises about you know, doing it in a very lean way, ultimately lots of validation along the way, um, working very iteratively so that, that you know, we, something doesn't get – just because you have a big budget and you have the ability from a resource and time perspective to build a fairly large software product, right – doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it in a very lean, agile, iterative way because that's probably going to end up with giving you the best value and, and producing the best product at the end of the day. Um, and so we work with, with um, lots of, of different companies in different industries uh, around, uh, around building software products. And 
Startup Grind's an interesting story because I started with Startup Grind. It'll be three-year anniversary in in a couple of months. And it was one of those things where I I saw it on the web somewhere. And I saw that there was was a chapter in Cincinnati at the time. So I went down there, went to an event. There were like eight people there. So it wasn't anything that was that was like you know um, mind blowing. You know that the you know that there were a hundred people there, but what really attracted me were the values, um, and I thought that that we could use in Columbus a venue and an and an, an event that was happening that would bring people together and that would provide a, a format for those that have have some experiences and some insights to share whether they were an experienced entrepreneur and, and sharing their journey or an investor or some some other um, critical member of the startup ecosystem, that they could share their experiences and insights in, in a fairly informal, relaxed sort of setting. But it was really the startup brand values that attracted me. Um, help others before you help yourself. Give before you take. Make friends, not contacts. That resonated with me because I, I think that if there's one thing that I've learned over time, that it, it, it really is true that if you help m- more people get what they want, in the end, you, will, you end up getting what you want. And, and not having a specific axe to grind with doing startup grind and having a specific purpose other than it's good fun to grab a mic and have an hour-long conversation with people who have done some really interesting things and who are really interesting people... And then, and then providing that as a service to the people that come and in, to the community, I really didn't want anything out of it other than that. And so, it's been a really powerful thing to be able to to do that over the the, the last um, almost three years now. And it's been a really rewarding experience because it's other chapter, other startup grand chapters and directors have not had the same positive experience that I've had with running the chapter here. Do you guys talk with each other? Is there any like and being in that role, is there any affiliation between the groups across the country or is it just kind of like, hey, you start your own chapter, you're on your own and you go from there? Uh, we, we have a lot of collaboration actually. Well, as much as you want I mm-hmm. guess is is sort of the the, um, the way that it happens. Um, so Startup Grind Headquarters is is always supporting the chapters and, and, and making the platform better and then thinking about marketing and how to make the events better and how to structure things better. Um, they do an annual conference out in the Valley um, that, that is, is phenomenal. This year there'll be probably 5,000 people at the annual conference. It's gone up um, progressively year after year. And so we have a we have a um, a Slack channel, a couple of Slack channels now for Startup Grind, where we can w- w- collaborate as a team globally, and you can interface with with individual directors um, as you want. Are the speakers that you're bringing in are they being funded, or is it they're just doing it out of their own goodwill? Yeah, own goodwill. So at the local chapters, we 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 rarely pay for a speaker. I've never paid for someone to come speak. Um, it, it, most ch- local chapters don't. For the annual conference, they, they, they um, m- again, I think they, they've paid at the annual conference for one or two speakers, um, but most come um, just to be supportive and just to sort of give back and to share their experiences and their insights. Um, but it's one of the things that, that makes Columbus unique 
and in my experience running the chapter here versus some other chapters is many other directors struggle with a consistent venue and getting a venue either at a low cost or, or for free. Um, Revo and Ventures, I've done Startup Grind there from the beginning. They've been a great partner and, and they've been supportive of it. Um, in fact, anything that I've ever gone to Rev One and said, hey, I think I want to do this. Hey, I think I want to do, do that. They've always said, yes, let's figure out how to make it happen. Um, so they've been a great uh, they've been a great partner for, for Startup Grind. Um, other Startup Grind chapters struggle to get speakers. It may be that their startup ecosystems aren't that fertile and there just aren't a lot of speakers, that, that, that interesting speakers that would come and have interesting things to say. And in some other cases, they do, but they just can't get them to come. They, they, just, won't, they just won't come. Um, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it that they you know, don't have a lot of time? I don't know, probably not. I think it's ultimately, I think it's an ego thing. I think you're either, you're either interested in being part of the community and contributing or you're not. And I think that, that one of the things that makes Columbus special uh, beyond Startup Grind, but certainly has been beneficial for me running the Startup Grind chapter is the community has been very supportive. I've only had one speaker say that they, they weren't interested in, in coming and speaking. Um, that person subsequently reached out and said, "Hey, I will, you know, uh, let's schedule it. Let's work something out for me to come and do it." So um, I guess that makes it zero now that, that everybody's <laughs> that I've reached out to. It's is, all about the net, right? right exactly, <laughs> right. Um, I just waited long enough, right, for it to be zero, so I had a better story to tell. Um, so it, it's been a really positive experience that that um, I, it has been unique to Columbus based upon conversations that I've had with lots of other directors um, around the world. So I found out that at the Startup Grind annual conference last year that Columbus is a, is, is a top five Startup Grind chapter globally, um, mostly because that's not because we get the most people to come to the events, um, but we do a, an event consistently month after month, um, and which, which matters a lot, uh, and we have long-term sponsors and partners and relationships um, that have really made it a, a, a consistent, I think, high-value thing for people to come and, and be a part of and, and partake in. Yeah, so what was it like early on compared to now, you know, three years ago when you first started really doing a chapter here in Columbus compared to what it is now? Do you think that back then people were receiving it just as well as they are now? They weren't. Um, we could, like anything new, nobody n- nobody knew what the hell it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I swear, Eliza. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's no, good. no, no. We do that all the time. Okay. So you're good. Uh, <laughs> I simply have to go back and like edit out every third word. Um, yeah. So it, 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 you know, people didn't know if it was if they should care about it and if they should come. Right. So the first couple, I mean, there were, there there'd be six people there, um, and then you know the next one there'd be twelve people, right, and then it'd be fifteen, right. And ultimately, it does come back to, it, 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 it's not about me, it's never been about me, it's always about the speaker, right? If, if, if people perceive that the person who's, who's coming, that's, that's going to answer my questions, is an interesting, high-value, insightful person, people, people, people come. If they perceive that that person isn't representative of those things, right, then they don't come in as in as big a numbers, um, but you know we 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 consistently get you know fifty people now, 
um, you know, I think that, that uh, would, um, and it's an interesting thing that, that I did a survey the end of last year, so the end of year two in doing it, and I asked people, would you rather hear from entrepreneurs or investors? Uh, and, and they said they would rather hear from entrepreneurs. The attendance and participation belies that. People will show up in bigger numbers when an investor is, grabs mics with me and, and d does a startup grind. And I think that's because people know that they should answer, I'd rather hear from an entrepreneur because it, it's mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, right, learning from a more experienced seasoned entrepreneur versus them saying, I want to hear from an investor who's, you know, who I just want money from. But in, from an attendance perspective and participation perspective, they show up in bigger numbers for investors, which, which I think after thinking about it makes sense because people think that, well, maybe the investor is going to say something that is going to change my perspective, my model, my pitch deck, et cetera, that's going to help me get investment when mm -hmm. maybe I've struggled to get investment. Right. So I think they're looking for that one nugget from a VC <laughs> or an investor, right? That, that is going to, is going to change the trajectory of their, of their path. Yeah. And, how many people do you think are just bringing the pitch book with them on those days, hoping to catch them after after the show? Yeah, a lot. Um, and, and so I think you know, the, the, after the event, will it's the always the longest line, you know, for the investors that come uh, and, and grab grab a bike with me, uh, because people again are hoping that the, that in that moment they can make a connection with that investor, right? That there's something that they say that that the investor likes, right, and is maybe intrigued by. So um, I don't know if they come with, with pitch decks, you know, yeah. ultimately, but they're certainly coming and they're hoping that they're going to have that interaction with the investor that they can, they can leverage moving forward. Um, Do you think there's something in that philosophy in regards to focusing on investing rather than – and maybe they're not just focusing on investing. Obviously, that's an important factor. I mean, if you get to a point where you need investing, you, get, you need investing. But do you think that maybe there's too much focus on not just turning a profit yourself in the startup community right now? Absolutely. I, I am fundamentally m more of a bootstrapper than, hey, let's just go out and seek funding for the sake of getting funding. I think um, I, have, I, have, I have lots of opinions on this, actually. I think there are very few companies that are actually investable first. And, and so if you start with that premise... That means most should go bootstrap, acquire some customers, generate some revenue, generate some profit. And then I think it, through the course of doing that, they then have the leverage and the control of growing the business organically or going and now seeking investment if indeed investment is going to change the pace and scale of, of growing the business. And, and, and if it's not, if investment isn't going to change the pace and scale of growing the business, you shouldn't go seek investment and you shouldn't, you shouldn't take it even if you can. Uh, and, and I think that um, many things in, in starting and growing a company are counterintuitive. And I think that's why it's really – I think it's, that's why it's hard and I think it, it's not obvious. Um, the product is one of them, right? By, by very nature, we sort of believe that a product that does – Eleven hundred things is better than a product that does three things really well, but it's not true. The first product that that you come out with 
that does three things absolutely killer that that solve a problem in a unique way in a high value way but in a very simple way is better than a product that does 1100 things at the beginning because the chances of the product nailing all 1100 of those things and doing it a simple way is is virtually zero but it's counterintuitive right because we we as the owners of an idea and the owners of a company look at that and most of this is driven by fear right we fear releasing a product that only does three things right because then we look at it and we go oh my goodness right clearly to solve this problem this product should do more than three things but if it solves the problem does it need to do more than three things at the beginning and we all get sort of and and we all get sort of in this trap of well our thing needs to be like Uber, or our thing needs to be like Facebook, or our thing needs to be like this. And what we forget is when Facebook started, it was basically the hot or not for Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. And when when Uber started, it was much simpler than it is now. Still really elegant, right? And did what it needed to do, but it didn't do everything that it does now, right? And you can pick Evernote, you can pick any product at any company Right, and their first product, the successful ones, was very simple, very straightforward, solved the problem in a very unique and high value way, and we lose sight of that, right? And we lose sight of it because we're people and we complicate it, right? We complicate it through ego and fear and all those things that that make things harder and more complicated than they need to be. Yeah, it's interesting because we struggle with that exact same thing here at FMX, the company that I work for. And as a software, as a service company, we're constantly sitting through demonstrations with people. And we've built this product around something that can handle several things really, really well, really simple. And that's what the market needed. And we still have that and a great product, and we still work towards it every day. But I think what we struggle between is hearing someone ask for something and having to tell them no. And you kind of feel like you failed a little bit, you know, and you want to meet everybody's needs. And then you have customers that come back and as they're growing they say well we'd like it for it to do this and then so it's like almost like before you hit that threshold user base before you go in a rocket space and become uber or whatever it is you're constantly just trying to please everybody i think and that makes it really difficult to develop a product and kind of just feel like you're not meeting everybody's needs maybe yeah absolutely and i think it is um it, it's it's kind of a m- manifestation of we, we, we never want to risk losing a deal and losing a sale. And we, we, none of us want to be rejected. So we don't want to be rejected because at the beginning, people don't like our idea, right? And then we don't want to be rejected because people don't like our product. And we don't want to be inject, rejected by investors who say the market's not big enough, right? Or you're not capable enough as a team or as a founder. Uh, and, and so we we... we we try to put a, a, a protect. We we try to wrap ourselves in a cocoon, right? Because we don't want that rejection in any way, right? Uh, around ourselves or our products or our companies, and so what happens is we end up we end up working in in a, in a in that protective cocoon in a way that doesn't move things forward and doesn't progress ourselves or the company. And we, we have to get over that sort of that fear and that ego and that rejection and say what's in the best interest of the product and what's in the best interest of the company. And oftentimes that's very uncomfortable for us personally. Mm-hmm. And then kind of to go back, another thought I had when you were talking about 
the companies who have generated revenue and kind of proved that they can be profitable, just from sitting through those talks at Startup Grind, what I've noticed a lot is the companies that are proving that they're profitable, um, people who are asking questions that are creating those companies aren't facing nearly as much difficulty receiving funding, obviously, which seems pretty straightforward because when you don't need it, obviously, it's much easier to come across. And, right. I mean, Funny how that, that, that works in life, right? <laughs> yeah. When you don't need something is when the world sort of delivers it to your doorstep and offers it to you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which, if anybody's listening, we have tons of funding at Conquering Columbus, so don't bring it to us. We don't even want it. Right. But if you do, 774 Brittingham. <laughs> you yeah, also, also go to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, shameless plug over here on this podcast. But, you know, I think one thing you mentioned that I was just thinking about, was about to ask a question about, was the, the investable part. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons people get so obsessed with being, you know, doing a thousand things is that wide market application. We all want to have just the biggest market because people think that that's the best way to get funding. But I think that, that do you feel like that stems from um, just the spotlight being on these big companies that weren't making a lot of money, but get huge investments because of how big the market is? And you think people get distracted by that a little too much? Absolutely. I think we see founders uh, frequently chasing funding, right? And in- instead of chasing customers and instead of focusing on the product and making sure that the product solves one high-value problem. So, it, and so one of the things that I see with people, with founders chasing funding, is that they also chase either multiple mediocre problems, so they're not focused on solving one high-value problem, or they're, they're, um, they're chasing, um, I sort of mix them in together into one by saying they're chasing multiple mediocre problems. Founders often will chase more than one problem, or they will chase a mediocre problem, right? And mediocre problems frankly don't deserve investment and they don't even really deserve time and energy of founders in trying to build a company because it's not worth the time and effort to solve a mediocre problem right you're just not going to get a big enough return even as founders frankly of all the time and energy and effort that has to go in building a company and making it successful build trying to do that against a mediocre problem is just not worth it so i think that one of the challenges that we have and probably every place has outside the valley is thinking bigger and trying to solve high impact, high value problems. And if if we do that, in, investment then is a, is at least easier because investors want to be attached to and want to be associated to companies that are trying to solve high impact, high value problems. I think one of the reasons founders in Columbus. And in the Midwest, struggle with investment sometimes is they're working on a company that is solving a mediocre problem that investors are just not going to get that excited about and not going to be that interested in. Did that answer the question? No, yeah, I definitely I think that I think okay. that definitely answered the question. So, I think a lot of people these days too are really excited to create something and call themselves a founder and just kind of have a company under their belts. Do you think that attitude is kind of? being counterproductive to what we actually need in terms of a lot of people who should maybe be working and would be great and would serve a really strong purpose underneath another company, but rather they're going and trying to do their own thing because it's kind of the hot thing right now. Like, Absolutely. It's it's romantic to be a founder uh, and, and to say you're an entrepreneur. Um, it, it, it Most people who, most people by and large shouldn't do it. 
most people who are attempting to do it shouldn't be doing it. The, the, you only should be doing it, and, and I've had a bunch of people now over time come up to me and say, oh, I'm going to go start my own thing. And I say, okay, that's cool. Why, what problem are you solving? Right? Why are you doing it? Well, I just want to be my own boss. I just want to go do my own thing. Terrible, terrible reason to go start your own company because it's not enough to say to be disenfranchised with where you are or who your manager is or you know the, the, the shit you have to do that you don't like, right? That's not a good enough reason because if you're not solving a problem and if you're not adding value right into the marketplace, it's not going to work. It's going it's, you're, you're probably going to end up frustrated, depressed, and broke in the process. And so most people shouldn't be doing it. And it's become too romantic to do it, right? Where people, you know, can put, you know, founder on their LinkedIn profile, you know, et cetera. It's too hard. It's most people are unprepared for the chaos, right? They 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 look at the examples of people who've been successful, even companies in town. So they look at a company like Cover My Meds, right? Or they look at cross checks and they look at some other companies and that they it looks easy, right? And it's anything but easy. They don't. They don't. They don't really know the decisions and the struggles and the challenges along the way that those people and those and those companies have to deal with. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. Most people are not up for the chaos because we're not wired that way as people, right? We have a a safety mechanism, right, and security mechanism that. We want to be able to have shelter. We want to be able to be able to eat. We want to have a roof, you know, over our heads. We want to be able to clothe ourselves, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So most of us are not wired to be founders and to be entrepreneurs, right? And we we only think that we are because we like the idea of it. We like the sound of it. We actually have no idea what it means and what we're getting ourselves into when we do it. Yes. Yeah, we could probably talk for an hour just about that because right. yeah. I think most people who are thinking about doing it and most people who do it shouldn't be doing it mm-hmm. and shouldn't be thinking about it um, because they – I don't think you should do it until you've come to terms with what it's really like, what it really means and all of the sacrifices that you're going to have to make along the way, right? It, it's it, – it, it means you're not you're, you're you know, you're not going to go see movies, right? You're not going to go to ball games, right? Because if you're not completely focused on solving this problem and delivering it in such a compelling way that people have to hire you and buy your product, right? If you're not that consumed by it, it's not going to work. This is not a part-time hey, I'll, and you know, and there are the stories out there of where you know somebody. And I hate these stories, ultimately, of where somebody, you know, says, you know, and writes a book about how, you know, I, I you know, I built a $10 million company working two hours a week. Um, I got to find that book. Right. <laughs> I've never heard of that Those, one. But. I'm, I'm fundamentally against against growth hacking, right? And there, there are, you know, are there ways to get, you know, get lots of users and get lots of email addresses and those kinds of things? So are there these little growth hacking, you know... Tidbits, sure. Fundamentally, I don't think you're going to build a solid, sustainable, high-growth business through 
these growth growth hacking tidbits, right? I think it still comes back to some tried and true things. You better be solving a high value problem and you better be doing it in a way that is low impact. So you don't have to, so your customers don't have to change behavior that much, right? If you, if you, if you're forcing someone to change behavior significantly, it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty steep mountain to climb. Right. And I think the mistake, and maybe, you know, you would feel the same way that a lot of uh, founders make that people who just go into it wanting to start their own business and not have a boss is that they think it's the comfortable decision. I'm doing it because I want to be more comfortable in my life. Everything sounds easy when you set up a startup grind event. You hear this cool story and this guy pulls up in this nice Mercedes and you're like, man, he, he made it. Like he's running his own company. He's, you know, he's got this title. He's making good money or he's got a big loan on the Mercedes, one of the two, but he's still doing good somehow. And then you just think, you know, you don't really hear what it took to get there. So, I mean, maybe it just takes more stories of hearing what they went through day to day to actually create the company than actually what they're at today and doing now, you know? Right. So let's jump back into Startup Grind a little bit, though. You are, you're the mediator, right? So for those of people who don't, who don't know what Startup Grind is that are listening, or maybe you've never been to one, um, you're a mediator for it and you interview people at Startup Grind, correct? Yeah, it's essentially a fireside chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the interviewee and I grab microphones and for a, about 40, minute, 40, 45 minutes typically, we have a conversation of, of some prepared topics and questions that I've prepared for them, that I've sent to them in advance, so that the, the, we have a framework for the conversation, and, and it's progressive, and we're going somewhere with it, and we sort of know what we, want, what we want to talk about, and what we think is going to be most valuable to, to the audience. And then we open it up for 10 or 15 minutes of questions at the end, and people can ask you know what, whatever they want. And honestly, the questions that the audience ask are typically way better than the questions that I came up with for the, inter- for, for, for the interviewee. Um, and uh, and yeah, and we we keep it. We try to keep it pretty light. We try to keep it pretty, pretty conversational and pretty fun, so not too formal. Um, and we try to have it also be sort of organic, where if the person says something that I find interesting that I didn't know they were going to say, I'll pursue that and we'll talk about it. I also to to Josh's point, I also do want to talk about not just. Oh wow, you've built a company to this level, or wow, you raised this much money, or you know, w- you know, wow, you just signed th- this cool customer, right? I want to talk about sort of the negatives, and I want to talk about the struggle. I want to talk about the hard times. I w- one of my favorite questions to ask uh, entrepreneurs and founders is, "Tell me about when you thought about quitting. How did you get through it? What were you feeling?" Um, what caused that moment, right? Because I think anybody who's, who's tried to start anything, whether it's a company or it's a neighborhood watch or it's, it's, it's some sort of club, right? You guys with this, thank you for doing this, by the way. I think it's a great service to the community. And I think that, that as you continue to do it, you're going to have a tremendous archive of of really interesting people with really smart things to say. So I appreciate you guys doing this. Um, starting anything is hard, and anybody who's ever started anything has thought about quitting along the way. Right, yeah. Right, because you get to a point where it's just like, man, I'm tired. 
man, I just don't want to get up at six o'clock tomorrow to do this. I mean, you guys are wrestlers, right? How many times in wrestling did you think about quitting? 24-7. A lot. (laughs) But but it's weird, though, in that when something that you're that passionate about, and I don't know if if entrepreneurs who create great companies feel this way, but you always have that feeling of wanting to quit, but you can't because it's just so much of what you want. You know, it's like you you hate every second of it, but you love every second of it because you know what it gives you. So I, I think maybe... That's something that is ingrained in successful people. Well, and I would say that I, – I, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily passion. I think – and so I've become – I've never really liked the, 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 the passion sort of, of pursuit, right? Because I've been mostly an opportunist. I see something and I go, that's interesting. That looks like it might go somewhere. I think I can help, right? But let me jump in and let, let, let me do that. Um, I think passion becomes a misguided sort of, of – emotion and state for 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 people it becomes this is who i want to become not who i am it becomes this is what who this is this is what i want to be about right not what i'm doing right so i think it becomes this very sort of amorphous sort of metaphysical thing that we want to believe of ourselves and that we want others to believe of us i think the the you speaking about wrestling and that you know, you hate every second of it, but in this, at the same time, you love every second of it. I think it becomes more about purpose and fulfillment, right? That you know that you're getting better through the struggle, right? And that when you overcome a challenge as part of it, right, that there's lots of really good feedback mechanisms and loops as part of it, right? And so I think that, that um, I think passion is dangerous territory. I think challenging challenging fulfillment is, is is really what people should be after right and that should be the objective right is those positive feedback loops that you're getting better and there's progress right and you're learning more and you're 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 perfecting the craft right um and, and so i think that that passion can be a very slippery slope Definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I think purpose and fulfillment hit it spot on because I think that's exactly what wrestling and Mike and I have talked about several times with other people that we've had with wrestling backgrounds on the show. It really gives you that purpose and fulfillment, and then when you lose it, you realize that's what it was. You know, and I think passion is something that <clears throat> you bring with you everywhere you go, but not necessarily something that you follow. And I think in today's world, I think a lot of people use it as like an escape goat for when they don't want to do something hard or they don't want to take you know the road less traveled and then you sit back and I've squandered a couple opportunities because I thought, you know, I was following passion. I realized I just wanted something easier at the moment. And you look back on it and it's kind of shameful and you realize, you know, it's something that's inside of you. Did you, did you just say a scapegoat? I don't know. I say a lot of things that I think are, I mean, I, are good words for, is that the right word? Escape, it's for? not an escapegoat. Well, I'll, I'll, Google, a, I'll but, Google it later. Well, well, you guys can comment and let Josh know the exact word he was looking for there. Look, the purpose is not to know the definition of words. The purpose is to use the words so people understand. <laughs> right. And, that, and then I drop the mic and I walk away because you, I got nothing left. And you never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. Right. So <laughs> That's very true. So one thing I'm interested in before we jump into um, talk about Icy Stars and Black Hack and then a little bit of Rev1 is who have been some of the most influential people you've sat across during Startup Grind that have kind of said things to you that kind of sparked something inside or just really stuck with you? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, Pam Springer, um, who, who's, who's been a part of the, the Columbus startup ecosystem for, for a long time. Probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't have said it like that. Sorry, Pam. Um, 
Doesn't look a day over twenty though. Right, exactly. Yes, thank you for saving me. Um, she's got a new, she's got a new company, Oris Intel, um, that she's building. But one of the things that she said really early on in, in in our conversation that just really has not left me is is she said, look, interesting, average isn't that interesting, and I think and that's really stuck with me because it really resonates with solve a high value problem. And which is which is what I've always said and believed, and, and lots of others. I mean, I don't I don't own that you know um, position, uh, but it, that was an interesting perspective on it. You know th- that it, it's if you're going to be an, if you're going to start a company, if you're going to be a founder and be an entrepreneur, hey, don't do something that that is is average, right? Go go chase something and pursue something that's really that's really compelling and and that's really interesting and that's and probably that takes you out of your comfort zone. Uh, most most founders pursue solving problems that they actually know very little about, um, but they identify it and then they become almost compelled to solve the problem. And and I think that's different than passion, right? I think they just become so obsessed with solving the problem in a, in a better way than anybody else that um, that's what sort of carries them forward and, and drives them um, so I would say the the conversation with Pam was was really was really interesting that makes a lot of sense just from listening to her talk and meeting her she's just a very intense person you could tell just goes for elite and everything I mean she played college basketball she's just and was a great athlete you could tell just by the success she's had that you know, that's the way she looks at life. Right, and I'm jealous of that because... Um, you always want to play college women's basketball? Or? It, 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 <laughs> well, maybe, because I, I was, I was you know, a, a, a um, an average athlete. I'm sort of jealous of you guys being successful wrestlers because I played baseball growing up, and I was on an undefeated, so this is my athletic claim to fame, I was on, on an undefeated Babe Ruth baseball team. The the sad part about it is, and I played second base, and I could, I mean I, I was a great fielder. If the ball came anywhere near me, I was gonna I was gonna get it. I was you know I was gonna catch it. I was gonna throw the guy out. I couldn't hit to save my life. So before it literally before not before every game before every at bat, the coach would come to me and he would say, "Hey Ryan, don't swing." And and. And it, it worked. We won because I was fast, and so I would walk a lot because I never swung. And the pitchers weren't good enough if you didn't swing, right, to to throw three strikes, you know, to get you out. So more often than not, I would I would walk. But I just I, I just rem- and I knew it was in the best interest of the team. But every time he came up to me and said, "Hey, remember before every bat, mind you, don't swing," Jeez. right? There was a little piece of me that went. God, I really, you know, I wish I could hit, right? But he was—he wasn't wrong in saying that because I couldn't hit. I was a terrible hitter, <laughs> and so our best offense and my best offense was to get up there and not swing and get walked and then still second and then still third and then be able to score even on a ground ball, right? So it was, it was, it was, but it let me sort of, and, and maybe I think I've carried this perspective with me because I think it's given me an ongoing sort of perspective. That to work what and to do what is in the best interest of the team and and the outcome that we're trying to accomplish, not what was in my best interest. My best interest was not to get up there and and 
not swing because ultimately you have a very short baseball career if you never swing and you can't hit. Um, but I think it gave me a perspective early on to say what's in the best interest of the team, what's in the best interest of what we're trying to accomplish, and I've always sort of tried to keep that in mind and, and, and act in that pursuit. This is where I wish we were a movie because we'd cut to the dark room where Ryan's crying. He's like, don't swing, Ryan. And he's just crossing off the coach's face on the dartboard or something. <laughs> well, how old are you when you're playing Babe Ruth ball? I was probably I was probably 13 or something like that. So, um, And our entire audience has no idea where we've gone now. <laughs> how did we get here? Curveball, no pun intended. Right. Um, but I think I think it, it was it ultimately it was an important it, it had long lasting effects mm-hmm. right of being part of a winning team and we were undefeated so we you know we had a big party at the end of the year and we got trophy right etc and, and I was proud of that but there was also some part of it that that was that I felt a little that I had some misgivings about because it was. Um, play your role, but your role is this, right? And I wanted my role to be bigger than, than what it was, but that role was ultimately critical in us winning. It just wasn't the role that I would have wanted, um, and I would have liked to have, to have done more. But smartly, the coach knew me getting on base, right, was the, the best way for us to succeed. And that meant not swinging and not striking out and not grounding into outs, right, but not swinging, getting walked, and then being able to, to score. And I think that comes back to your focus in life, too. So whether you're focused on um, getting a paycheck that day or you're focused on you know where you're going to be at and where the company's going to be at in five years changes the directory of your immediate actions and, and the way that you represent yourself and the way that you're concentrating on just yourself or the entire team, which I think is pretty big. Well, I think it, and I, you know, I think it comes back to ego, right? And, and I'm reading a book right now, that, and I'm only on Chapter 4, but I love it so far, a, a book called Ego is the Enemy by a guy named Ryan Holiday. And it's, it's, it's fascinating already because I think that, that our, ego, our egos do ultimately inhibit us and prevent us from, from becoming as, as fulfilled and, and effective as we could be, right? And, and I think looping it back to the Babe Ruth story to try to maybe, you know, have that make more sense is it, it, the, the the coach was basically saying your contribution to the team, right, is you being willing to give up this aspect of you being a baseball player, right? And, and so that was maybe my first lesson in putting an ego in check and saying and have, and being mindful of what's the best thing for the whole versus what's the best thing for Ryan, right? And I think that if, if we operated a little bit more mindfully about why we, why we are doing the things we're doing, why are we thinking the things that we're thinking, right? And, and if, if, we, if we're anxious about something, why are we anxious about it? And oftentimes it's because it's ego prevention, right? Or protection, right? that we feel in some way threatened by someone is going to look better than us or someone is going to get credit and we're not going to get credit. Um, and so I think that, that, that there is um, ego is often why founders and companies aren't successful too that are going after big impactful problems and maybe have the right team and maybe could build something su- successful around it 
but then they're not, and we talk about this a lot at Startup Prime, this question and point comes up, I would say in virtually every one, which is how do founders deal with the, they often get contradictory advice around being really coachable and, 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 and taking advice easily and incorporating it and being committed and convicted to their their mission and what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that, that ego is part of both of those things, right? If you're if you're too egotistical, you're going to stay con, con committed and convicted to maybe the wrong things too long and and it will kill you. If if and if you're receptive while you're while you're still committed to a path, you may be you might take some some left and right turns along the way that you don't necessarily know are the right ones. But if you're coachable, you might end up you know getting to the destination that you want to go to, just taking a maybe more circuitous route than you originally had, had thought you would. And I think that just goes to show how hard it is to be successful as an entrepreneur. Even if you have a good idea and your execution goes well, your philosophy or your mental state of mind down the road can be altered by the success that you achieve. And then, like, it, it's funny that you read books from, like, the 1800s that their whole philosophy is built on putting other people before yourself and concentrating on that as your building block for building the rest of your life. And it always seems to come back to that still today. Like, when people fail in some aspects, it's because they decided to put themselves before others, it seems like, and then... That changed the trajectory. trajectory. <laughs> That's another one of those big words next to ego scapegoat or whatever it was that I said earlier that I don't know. But trajectory of, of where they're going. Um, but aside from Pam, was there any other person that really stuck out to you before we jump into the other things? Yeah, I mean, there have been so many great ones. Um, so it's 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 hard to pick out specific ones. But, you know, Matt Scantlin from Cover My Meds, I mean, super smart guy. They're, they're building a really high-performing, successful company. So um, in, a, in, in a really hard business with a network model where they have you know, four significant stakeholders as part of their network, I'm now making a visual you know, uh, with my hands that no one can see, um, so uh, that's pointless. Um, but they, um, so that was interesting. I've done some really interesting ones, and, 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 uh, and so there's been a lot of good collaboration since I've started doing startup grind in the startup community. So I typically do now one. I typically do one now as part of every startup weekend. We call it Saturday Night Dinner Theater, and so there have been some really interesting ones as part of that that maybe I otherwise wouldn't have had the chance to do. So I did one with Doug Allman, CEO of Palatania, as part of the Startup Weekend Healthcare Edition. It was interesting to talk about a high-powered, high-performing nonprofit like Pelotonia and how powerful their brand is and how powerful their mission is. And so that was a really unique opportunity to, to do. Don Wright, who's the co-founder and, um, and CTO, I think maybe the COO now at Assurex Health from Cincinnati, actually came up to do one as part of a, another uh, startup weekend here. Um, and that was really fascinating because he talked about we talked a lot about a lot of the struggle with that one, and, and they just got acquired for for a couple hundred million dollars, so it's worked out okay. Sounds like a struggle. Yeah, so <laughs> it's worked good. out okay. But you know, he he talked about, you know, he 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 drove, you know, he drove all night one time to go to Cleveland to get a check from an investor so they could make payroll the next day. Um, it, it was it was at some point down to you know pennies in the bank, right, and and needing to 
do make payroll or to write a check to a vendor the next day. Um, and so that was fascinating. And, and we talked about some of the, the, the impacts on, you know, his family. Um, and, um, you know, that, that um, when you, when you, when you decide to take this sort of a, a path, um, there, there, you're giving some things up as we talked about before. So if you've got, if you've got a spouse, if you've got a family, um, they better be, they better be on board because if not, it's going to, it, there's going to be, there's going to be some anxiety and there's going to be some frustration and there's going to, it's going to put pressure on, on the relationship and it's going to put pressure on, um, the family, um, you know, to be able to do what you need to do to make sure the business continues to, to thrive and, and move forward. Um, the investor ones are always interesting um, because they, um, uh, I'm always interested to hear what, what interests them and what they're excited about and what they're looking at and, and what, uh, what new things that, that they're talking to. Because they're, I would say if we wanted to if we wanted to to approach innovation better, just sort of as a whole, and if if enterprises wanted to get better at, at corporate innovation, I think they should spend more. Well, they should spend more time with entrepreneurs and founders for sure, but they should spend more time with with VCs and investors because investors are seeing the new ideas and the new approaches and people people identifying problems that nobody else has identified yet. Um, and, and so it's just fascinating to hear their perspective, uh, on what they're seeing and, and what they're excited about. And, and I think they're almost always the, the best predictors of where's the economy moving, where's technology headed, right. And what new industries are going to be spinning up because they're seeing those things in most cases before anybody else sees them, um, they also have a really hard. I think they have a really hard job that most people don't give them credit for, because they 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 have to make decisions uh, and choices ultimately with not a lot of information, right? About picking winners and losers, not only winners and losers of companies, but winners and losers of technologies, winners and losers of new industries and new markets, right? If if you had looked at, at at Uber really early on, you would fundamentally have to believe that self service. Um, what's what's the term I'm trying to come up with? Right, that that a car service right that was self service that you could use on demand right was a better fundamental and would have a place in the market beyond using a taxi or driving your own car, right? And so you have to be able to think way outside of the norm of what's happening in a market and in an industry if you're going to be a successful investor, right? And, and so I think that's a really hard thing to do. And that's a really hard thing to get right. Yeah, I think Alex Picasso helped me out, who was our guest last week on things like that a lot, because after we sell Congreen Columbus for $100 million, um, which is inevitable... I still won't be a VC because I I think I know like the greatest ideas and the thing way things will work and then they're just like shot down immediately by primarily him but mostly other humans as well and it kind of <laughs> makes you realize it is super hard to guess just because you think something you don't realize how much you are just a unique person sometimes and people look at things the same as you so if you think an idea is really good 
for a business, I mean, it could be super hard to, you know, win that investment. So I think that's why you hear them say they fail so much before they succeed, too. I mean, even people in, like, YC Combinator, they say they fail, I think, like, 80% of the time or something like that before they find something that's successful, and then they hope the successful one blows to be a billion-dollar company so that way they can, you know, still pay rent. And- well, that's part of the reason that you'll, you'll see repeat founders getting investment, you know, maybe in lieu of a new founder getting investment, because investors at least now know that that founder, that founding team, understands what they've gotten themselves into. Even if they failed, they they, they, they presumably learned some stuff out of it, and maybe it was just the wrong product and the wrong market at the wrong time, and there are a million factors why something might fail and not work, right? But investors at least look at it and say, we at least have a, a more known commodity now with a founder that's 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 gone, you know, that's gone to bat and and that struck out versus somebody that's never played baseball before, right? And so, and oftentimes, I hear founders pretty frequently say, "Well, you know, why would a founder who failed get investment for another thing and a new thing before a new founder that 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 hasn't yet failed?" And it's really it's risk aversion, uh, not risk aversion, but it's risk avoidance, right, by mitigation by the investor, by the VC firm saying that we think it's a better bet on this person who has failed at trying to, to start and build a company versus this person who's doing it for the first time. Because at least there's some familiarity with the, with the, with the process and the struggle, and hopefully they learn something. You know, along the way, through through you know their their first failure or maybe multiple failures, um, lots of lots of successful founders and lots of successful companies have failed multiple times, right? Before they sort of figured out, it, it, before it all comes together, it's really it's really freaking hard, right? And I think that, that people underestimate how difficult it's going to be that. Everything matters. Everything just doesn't matter equally right now. But and and what matters in this moment for for a new company tomorrow, it may be a, a complete different problem that matters more than the one that matters right now. And it really is just that sort of constant. You have to be willing to to live that existence for some period of time. The other huge misnomer, and Matt Scantlin talks from Cover My Meds talks about this a lot, it most really big companies are on a ten year cycle. Right? Most most companies it takes ten years to become what most would consider to be a moderately successful, fairly large company. Um, it's not it's not three years, right? And investors, and so a lot of these myths get out there, right? Because investors will continually say it, it, to the public, right, into the market, well, we want to return in three years. That almost never happens, right? So deals get struck and terms get struck around, hey, we're going to make this investment, but we want 10x our money back in three years. That rarely happens. Sometimes it happens where it becomes a new round of, of, you know, of funding happens and the original investors get taken out in three years. And if they get taken out in acceptable terms, that's an acceptable exit for them, right? But if you look at sort of the company as a whole, right, rarely do they get to a three-year mark and, and it's obvious that they're going to be a sustainable, you know, successful company now over a long period of time. It typically takes more like seven to ten years. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, quickly, you know, I, we, we've been here an hour does, already. Does that mean? Does that mean I've been too long winded? No, quickly? Okay. no, but I was no, no, no. We got plenty of time here. But Mike's uh, not very cordial with, with right there. <laughs> right, yeah, listen, like, all right. that's enough. You've talked enough. We're gonna right. we're gonna end it right now. We've heard enough. <laughs> no, but I wanted to touch on um, Black Hat and I and I see stars Columbus. Yeah, I, 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 I'm confident that you're saying Black Hat now twice, and it is Black Hack. So Black I, Hack, and that will not be edited. That won't be edited because I, I, I was looking at it. Phenomenal. <laughs> Black Hat. Black Hat. And you can talk about either one. It's some sort of. A, 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 it sounds like some sort of CIA like, right, NSA NSA <laughs> operation, which I want no part of. So if the NSA is listening to this or listens to it at any point and analyzes this, I am not part of something called Black Hack and and something that that you know is is mysterious in nature. Um, so Black Hack is. Uh, an initiative where Bruce and, and Brandon Jones, um, two guys that have tried to start a couple of companies in in, in town um, over time, came. To, I met them and 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 we they have a startup called Flix, which is essentially um, black Netflix, uh, so African American oriented content, sort of independent content. So they're trying to to pursue that and get off, that off the ground for startup week. This year, but in late in 2015, we were organizing a pep rally for Startup Week, and we wanted a company to pitch at at the Startup Week sort of pep rally gathering. And so I went to Brandon and Bruce, and I said, "Hey, do you guys want to some you know come and pitch Flex? They'll get you some exposure. You'll sort of see you know how one of these things sort of happens, you know, etc." So they did, and they came, and then afterwards they said, "Hey." Um, do you do you realize that that in addition to us there was one other black person at the at at, at this event? And I was like, no, not really. But now that you mention it, yeah, and that's kind of the way that it is across a lot of tech startup events. And they said, God, that's really pretty shitty. And I said, I agree with you. And I said, you know, do something about it. And they said, okay, well, we think we'd like to do sort of an, a, a black focused tech startup kind of of monthly thing where we begin to build a bridge between the startup tech communities and the black community and we begin to get more diversity in the startup community and the tech community i said i love it so we came up with 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 the name and now it's really theirs to run with um so we're sort of modeling it after startup grind so there'll be black hack chapters um so we've had i think four or five events now in columbus a um, hundred people come typically, um, which is awesome, and there there are people that otherwise would not know that Rev One exists or that that venture capital exists and what it is and and when it's appropriate, uh, etc. So it's been fabulous so far. Cleveland has just signed up to be the first um, non-Columbus chapter. Um, they're talking to Cincinnati. Uh, they're not talking to you know to. New York and DC and some other places too. So I hope it becomes a really big initiative and, and really big organization ultimately. Cause I think it's, I think it's an important thing if we, and, and this will be a segue into, in, into IC stars. I hope, um, I think one of the challenges that we have, Mike is, hopes too. He's trying to cut you yeah, off. I know, <laughs> right. He's, no, no. he's, he's getting really anxious over there. Um, and, uh, it, it I think it's an important thing as we grow as a community and we and we have prosperity and and economic opportunity that 
everybody gets access to that, and, and it's not just um, a, a a particular race or or gender, right? That everybody has awareness and access, and I think that where many communities have struggled with that, where there's a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots, I will be very disappointed, and lots of people will be disappointed, if we end up with a with a huge chasm in Columbus between the haves and the have-nots, because I think we've done a relatively good job so far of having you know um, it, lots of opportunity, and for it not being you know quite so dis- for the economic disparity to be not quite so demonstrative, and so I think that we have to to really be mindful of that. And so when Brandon and Bruce wanted to to do Black Hack, I, I was supportive of it, and it really helped them. Uh, get it off the ground, but it's really theirs to, to sort of move forward and, and, and to build and grow. And I see STARS as a digital skills training program that uh, is targeted at underemployed adults, mostly socioeconomically challenged, who have, have not had the access to be able to take a, what, what I would call a traditional, typical education training path to have a career and to be able to capitalize on, on the digital industry. So it's a program that um, is, is project-centered learning. A company sponsors a project. The participants in the program then work on as a project team that they deliver to the, to the sponsoring company. And they learn skills across the spectrum of delivering a digital project. So some become project managers, some are BAs. Some are designers, some are developers, some are deployment people, some are QA people, and they go through the 16-week program, and then um, they get hired by by companies around town. Um, and it's been running in Chicago for 14 years. The impact is is just amazing. The average person in Chicago starts the program making under $10,000 a year, and by the end of the first year out of the program, on average, they make 57000 and so, I mean, that's, I mean, it's life changing, right? right. Um, if you if you're making ten thousand dollars a year and now you make almost sixty thousand dollars a year, that is that is significant. That matters. Um, most of the people in the program are, uh, it's very diverse. Most of the program are of some um, ethnic background or race, other than Caucasian. Um, a significant population of the participants are are female. Um, so it, it's it's one way to give people an atypical path to take part in the digital industry, and and on top of that, to give people that maybe um, otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity um, because of, of some some bias, right? The a mechanism to do that too. So lots of organizations have stepped up the support. I see stars. It wouldn't it wouldn't be happening with with just me leading it. Um, J.P. Morgan Chase has, has, has been an important partner. Um, uh, the Columbus Foundation, United Way, Rev One Ventures, the Columbus Foundation. So I'm just going to like name drop now. Uh, but it, 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 in, in all honesty, I owe the, uh, all of them a huge debt of gratitude because they looked at it, they said it matters and it's important for uh, for this program to exist in Columbus. Um, and so the the, the uh, Columbus Partnership's been involved, 2020's been involved and been very helpful 
um, the chamber's been involved. So um, lots of people. And if I, if I left somebody out, I apologize. But, you know, Mike is now just threatening to pull the power on the, the audio <laughs> equipment. Uh, if I don't stop rambling about Icy Stars. Um, so I'm now going to stop rambling about it. Uh, but um, hit me up if you want more information on Icy Stars or, or Black Hack. And, of course, you can re- reach out to Brendan Bruce Jones about Black Hack, too. Yeah, so, we'll get everything linked up in the show notes. Too. Absolutely. But just to preface... I was not trying to cut Ryan off. I was worried we were taking too much of Ryan's time. That was my concern. I it? just have to be, um, oh, goodness, I'm not going get, to get home in time for the steaks at 730. Um, so. See, Mike cares. Mike He's cares. too courteous. Right. No, problem. I, was, I, was, it's, <laughs> it's I said, a, I was saying if I don't get steak, <laughs> Ryan don't get steak. So you're going to be here right. for the next three hours. <laughs> and, it, you know, Josh and I never have anything to do after this. So we usually end up going home and just. Probably arguing about something. It, it, <laughs> you make so. it sound like some weird couple. Don't you? <laughs> well, right. I, I, that part is getting edited. You guys, <laughs> you guys are like the odd couple, right? Yeah. You go home. And, so who's the who's the neat one and who's the who's the who's the dirty one? We are out of time. We will not. <laughs> However, I'd be the neat one. That's definitely definitely. Oh, he, so he claimed the neat territory. So right. so you're obviously the messy one. I, I mean, yeah. I have to be now. So who who is who is the who is the typically the lead at, when you guys go and hang out at the clubs, and who's the wingman? Wait, when when did this turn into us getting interviewed? This is <laughs> what I do. This is, this is what I do. <laughs> we. Uh, <laughs> so, so where do you guys the, typically go hang out? If you're going to go hang out, where do you typically go hang out? The walrus. The walrus. No, usually usually going at short north, probably. Short north. So the new place yeah. in the short north that that you know all the cool kids are going to that I haven't been to yet is uh, Standard Hall. I, yeah, it's oh. so funny they named that. Yeah. Have you guys been to Standard so Hall? Good. Yeah, I've been there a couple Standard. times. Okay, all right. So who's who's sort of point man and who's sort of wingman when you go hang out at Standard Hall? Well, he's locked down, so I just right, you know, I bring my I, girlfriend and we we double wingman for him. I oh, go okay. in there and I just well they're not good at it though. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. But mostly what time. we do, mostly what we do is like, hey Josh, go talk to some girls. What are you doing? So you just so you go as you go as a threesome, then you guys want to hang out together, <laughs> and then you just want him to go away. Right. So that like our whole goal is to find a girlfriend to talk to, and then we leave. By the end of the night, I just end up drunk alone. I'm just sitting there at the bar. I'm like, what is going on? Where my friends go? <laughs> they're my ride. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank God okay. for Uber, huh? So you've had a long term girlfriend. Uh, going on three years now. Oh, it's pretty long term. Yeah, yeah, because you're still you're a young guy, so yep. a girlfriend for three years. You mm-hmm. couldn't tell by that beard, though, huh? It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she's out there. Hi, Shannon. So I hope you're listening to this. I'm gonna test you later, see if you. She's not. She don't listen to this. So what is she, what, what, what she see in you? What, I don't know. That's a good ex- question. Uh, you'd have to ask her. Is she is, is she like a wrestling groupie? No, she no. didn't even she didn't even watch wrestling before. Are we there wrestling, wrestling groupies? Yes, there are actually. Surprisingly, yeah, you'll find. Ohio, them. you know, big wrestling town. Well, it's and so state. we can we can tie this also into last week's with with Alex and Lacey, right? Mm-hmm. Because Lacey was a wrestling groupie, right? That's how she <laughs> met Alex. Hey, right? Those are your words, right? <laughs> not mine. <laughs> Lacey, I've, is, I've I've seen the angry side of Lacey too many times to throw away a comment like that. Lacey is. Getting, we might have to edit that part out. <laughs> 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 All right, awesome. so let's jump into uh, back to something that you know maybe our listeners are out there going, "What the heck is going on right now? How did we get here?" Let's- so if if you are an available young lady in the Columbus area, Josh Witt will be hanging out at Standard <laughs> Hall 
tomorrow night. Will you be there tomorrow? Yeah, I'll stay there. I'll we don't leave. even know what day this episode is releasing. Right. Oh, we so. won't know what. Right, we won't know this. Right. Go to Standard Hall every <laughs> night of the week. Never leave. <laughs> Never leave until Josh Witt shows up at the bar. Right. I mean, he's 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 a catch. Any 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 young lady out there would would like to be in a relationship <laughs> with Josh Witt. We've, there. We've never ended an episode this well before. Right. This is, this is a great way. So let's 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 end on some some content here instead of some jokes and. Uh, jump I was, into. I was serious. That wasn't oh. a joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's giving me this glare right now. Uh, but okay, so what I wanted to jump into before we uh, kind of close it out here is um, talk about what your feelings on the city of Columbus in general. And um, one of the questions we have here that we really wanted to ask was, you know, what do you think the strongest and weakest aspect of our city is? The strongest aspect, I think, is we don't have much of it. Uh, uh, they go together. It, I, I don't think we have much of an ego as a community, so I think we're much more collaborative than, than most. Um, and I think our biggest weakness is we don't have much of an ego. I think we've actually been too sort of self-deprecating over time, right? And it's been, you know, um, Cowtown, right? It's been, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're an up-and-comer, right? And, and I think we pretty consistently compare ourselves to other communities, which we 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 should stop doing um, because I think that, that um, we've got a great story to tell and we've got lots of really cool interesting things happening. Smart city, right? It, one thing that that you know is is mm-hmm. you know pretty obvious and sort of a um, a banner you know win for the city, and that really we won it because the companies in town basically said. If we win, right, we're gonna we're gonna match what we get from from the feds, right? As part of the as part of the grant, and so I think that was a demonstration of our collaborative nature, and that you know we 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 don't if the community wins, then we all win, right? Um, so I just think that we need to be a little bit more we need to be a little bit more self confident as as a community than we've probably historically been. I think we're getting there. I think we've still got a little bit of work to do. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that would be a good place to end unless, Josh, you have any final questions. Yeah, maybe just one final question. Do you want to give out your phone number? Right. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, link it, we'll link it in the show notes. We'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the final thing that we want to end with, you talked about it a little bit, and you kind of mentioned it among the people you interviewed, but we asked kind of Live Uncomfortably is a slogan that we've made for our podcast that we feel like the successful people we've talked to have had to live uncomfortably for a significant period of their life to get to where they want to be. Um, do you feel like that's been a pivotal role in your life personally? And have you, like you said, noticed it amongst other successful people? Absolutely. I think that, that you, the only way that you grow, I think, individually is to do things that are uncomfortable. And I think that, that you... Um, the people that ultimately succeed, I think, force themselves to embrace discomfort and fear and over, and maybe not overcome them. That might be too strong because I don't think any of us are fearless and I don't think any of us are always comfortable in every setting and every interaction. But if you can if you can embrace it and you can you can at least manage it, right? Um, then you, you're you're going to be. You, you, you've at least got a, you've at least got a shot, right? Um, yeah, I think that um, we we should actually it's a great sort of personal challenge that we should regularly be be challenging ourselves to do uncomfortable things 
that that give us anxiety and that give us stress because it's the only way that ultimately you grow and you get better. And I think there's great around, uh, there's great there's a great positive sort of feedback when you do something that you're initially uncomfortable doing or you fear doing and then you do it because then you realize wow I made more out of that than it was right and I think that recognition is a powerful recognition right if 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 it's a fear of you know um, repelling off of a cliff right once you do it right then you go I made way more out of that than it was right if it's a fear fear of public speaking once you've gotten up in front of a group and you've and you've spoken right then it becomes oh I was, I was much more fearful of what that existence actually was when it happened, right? And so I think that's that's a powerful thing to be able to 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 be able to overcome um, and to be able to to deal with fear and deal with discomfort um, knowingly, right? And 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 it's one thing to be forced to, right? Uh, and, and put in a situation where we were we're sort of thrown into it and we have to deal with it. I think getting conscious and, and consciously doing things that we're uncomfortable doing is is where where most growth happens. That's awesome. Yep. Well, thanks, guys. That was us interviewing Ryan Frederick, I think. I don't know what happened at the end. It might have been <laughs> us getting interviewed by Ryan Frederick, but it was a great time. Awesome episode. Guys, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for coming to my podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're very grateful to be here. This is the Cochran Columbus Podcast. That was your host, Ryan Frederick, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Talk to you later. Hey, Conquerors. Thanks for listening to that episode. Before I let you go, I want to give one more big shout-out to our sponsors over at AWH. And AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes. Tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.